Well, good evening. Uh, has the weather been warm enough for you lately? It's getting hot out there. Uh, I looked uh, just a little bit ago, and I think this coming Thursday and Friday is supposed to reach 90, so it's getting really warm. Uh, one of the things that happens in the springtime is all the beauty of God's creation around us, around us begins to clothe itself, the trees and the flowers and things. And unfortunately, people begin to unclothe themselves as the weather gets warm. We want to talk this evening for a few minutes about modest apparel. It's that time of year, and so we need to spend some time talking about it. What does the Bible say about how we should dress uh, to be uh, in accordance with God's will? And so that's what we'll spend our time talking about this evening. Uh, as we begin, I think there's some basic principles that we just need to lay down. Uh, just kind of build the foundation and, and lay these principles down and then, and then move on from there. Uh, if you go to Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6, uh, it says, And said, O oh my God, I am ashamed and blushed to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up into the heavens. This isn't talking about modest apparel, but uh, one of the things that Ezra said that he was ashamed uh, and he blushed to lift up his face to God. Uh, This is the proper attitude because of the sins that he had done. And his attitude was, I blush and I am ashamed when I approach God. In Jeremiah's day, in Jeremiah 6 and verse 15, uh, it says, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. So they were not ashamed, and they didn't even know how to blush. They were past feeling, uh, and they were proud of the things that they were doing. Unfortunately, I believe that that describes people in the world that we live in today. This evening we're going to talk about clothing, but I think these attitudes describe people today. You would think they'd be ashamed, but they're not at all ashamed. They uh, don't know how to blush. They're sort of past feeling for some of the things that they're doing. Uh, people ought to be ashamed, but instead I think people are proud of uh, how little clothing they can get away with wearing but we ought to have a sense of shame and restraint we'll talk more about that as we go Uh, but especially in regards to how we dress in a lot of aspects of our life we should show a sense of shame but especially in how we dress so so i want to lay that there first when we approach god we should have a sense of of shame Uh, but the bible has some things to say about nakedness this morning greg talked to us about the letters to the seven churches uh, there in Asia in, in Revelation 3. Uh, in Revelation 3 and verse 18, this was in the message or the letter to the church at Laodicea. And so uh, Jesus said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Jesus there said there's shame associated with nakedness. Now, we understand that uh, this is figurative language here. This is the passage, remember, where they thought that they were rich. And he said, actually, you're poor and blind and naked. And he went on to talk about this. You need to uh, get some garments that you can be clothed and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And so that's figurative language. Uh, don't think they were you know, literally naked. The idea there was, though, that, that we want to focus on. The idea is that, that nakedness is a shameful thing, and that's what Jesus was talking about. It's a shameful thing to expose and show your nakedness. Later on in the book of Revelation, chapter 16 uh, and verse 15, and these are the words of Jesus as well, it says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. 
So again, same idea. Jesus uh, uses symbolic language here, uh, but uh, symbolic language is based upon true things. Nakedness is a shameful thing, and we should be careful to not show any of our nakedness of our bodies. That's, that's the point that we're making here. We need to have a sense of shame. Nakedness is a, is a shameful thing, a thing to be ashamed of. All right, so with that being said, now let's talk about uh, more specifics. You know, actually, we want to go back to the book of Genesis. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we don't live under the old law, you know, and, and we don't, the, the situation we're in today isn't like the situation that Adam and Eve were in when the world was first created. But what we learned uh, by going back to the book of Genesis is we see some principles of God and we see man and woman in the, in the situation that they were created in, the state they were created in. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, it says, They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So this was before, of course, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were naked. And uh, in, in this case, I think naked without a stitch of clothing on. They were just absolutely, totally naked. And they were not ashamed of that at all. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, we fast forward just a little bit, beginning of verse 7. Uh, so they ate of the tree, which they were not supposed to eat. They ate of the forbidden fruit. They realized that they were naked. Pick up in verse 7 of Genesis 3. It says, The eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, they ate of the forbidden fruit. They realized they were naked. So what did they do? Well, they made themselves uh, loin coverings. Uh, so here in the New American Standard, it says loin coverings. The King James Version says aprons uh, to cover themselves. Then after that, so, so they tried to cover themselves. Then after that, God says, you know, he comes, comes to the garden and asks Adam where he's at. And they said, well, we, we hid. I hid because I was naked. I think that's kind of interesting. So Adam realized he was naked, him and Eve. They tried to put some clothes together real quick to cover themselves. They hear God come calling, and they said, well, I was hiding because I was naked. After he had tried to cover himself, he realized that they were, they were still naked. I think that's kind of interesting uh, how that took place. Now, the word for, for loin covering here, uh, the, the Hebrew word for loin covering, I'm no, I'm no Hebrew scholar. I won't even try to pronounce it. Uh, but it means a garment that covers the midsection of the body. And so probably a lot like modern-day underwear or bathing suit, what they tried to cover uh, was private parts is what we would call them. And so that's what they tried to cover themselves, but they hid because they realized they were still naked. And so I really think that's a, that's a principle of God that we need to sort of understand, you know, because if we say naked, we think without anything on at all, but you can have on clothing and be naked. Adam and Eve had on some clothing, not a lot. Uh, they had on some but they were still naked. What's interesting is, evidently God agreed with them, because later on in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So God took the skin from animals and He clothed them properly. And so this was after all the punishment was dealt out for their sin from eating in the tree. It's kind of interesting. God dealt out punishment for them. And then he clothed them properly because they weren't properly clothed. Now, they had on some articles of clothing, but it wasn't adequate. And so God clothed them properly. Uh, now, this word here, uh, let me see, let me erase this. 
these garments of skin. Again, I'm using the New American Standard for this verse. Uh, the King James Version says tunics. Uh, the Hebrew word, again, I won't try to pronounce the Hebrew word, but the Hebrew word for that, tunics or garments, uh, describes a shirt that hangs on the shoulders uh, and goes uh, down, reaches to the knees. So we can kind of picture that. That's what a tunic would be. That's what this garment of skin would be like. So they had on something that looked like underwear. That wasn't uh, adequate. So God made them garments and covered them, covered them adequately from the neckline down to the, to the knees. Uh, and so... Uh, again, this just gives us an idea. We don't, we're not living in the same time period, obviously. We're not living in the same conditions. But this, this gives us an idea of what God approves of as being properly clothed. Uh, and He made them uh, clothing to adequately cover themselves. Uh, so, if that area was uncovered, then God would view that as nakedness. We already said nakedness is a shameful thing. And if that area is not covered, well, then that's nakedness. And that should be something that we should be ashamed of because God uh, views it as nakedness. You know, in Job 22, beginning at verse 5, uh, it says, "...is not your wickedness great and your iniquity without end, for you have taken pledges from your brother for no reason..." And notice this last phrase. "...and stripped the naked of their clothing." I think that's interesting. Because, uh, again, we would say, well, if a person's naked, they don't have on any clothes at all. But in the book of Job, it talks about the fact that a person can have on clothing and still be naked, strip the naked of their of their clothing. So you can have on some articles of clothing and be naked from God's perspective. Uh, we know that to be true. Uh, if you go to Walmart, uh, you'll, it'll be full of people that's naked. They're exposing their nakedness. If you go anywhere this summer, uh, unfortunately, there'll be people that aren't adequately clothed. And so God views that nakedness as not covering yourself properly. Uh, now, I think we need to stop here because we need to say we're not talking about what's worn in private. Okay, This is not talking about what is worn in private where nobody's going to see me. Maybe I'm asleep, what I wear to bed. We're talking about what I wear out in public, what's going to be seen in the public eye. Uh, when I wear things out and about, I need to be clothed properly. Let's go to the book of Exodus. I want to look at Exodus chapter 28. Uh, in Exodus chapter 28, this is talking about clothing for Old Testament priests uh, and what they were supposed to wear that would be proper for them uh, so again we, we don't live under the old testament you know we, we know that but this is just showing what what they would need to cover because that still that still applies to us today right we still have bodies just like they had bodies when they need to be covered to cover their nakedness we still need to cover our nakedness today these things still apply as far as what nakedness is and how to properly cover it in exodus 28 beginning of verse 40 it says, For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. Uh, okay, so they were to wear linen trousers. This is where the King James Version says breeches. We would call them breeches. Uh, the priest would be working, you know. And so they would have on a tunic. The thing we just talked about, they cover from the shoulders down to the knees, but they'd be working. You know, sacrificing animals would be a lot of work. And so they'd be moving and, you know, they'd be bending over. Their bodies would be in different positions as they were sacrificing an animal. And so there was a need to make sure they're covered at all times. That's what we're reading about here. Uh, and so they would need to have some undergarments on up under those tunics uh, to make sure their nakedness wouldn't be exposed. And so the answer to that was these linen trousers or these these breeches. Uh, and the purpose was to cover their nakedness, and they shall reach from the waist to the thighs. 
Well, that's not good. I don't know why that. I don't know why that happened. Um, but anyway, so these so these britches would reach from the waist down to the thighs. Uh, so important point to note, right? Because that's that's where we're trying to figure out where do these where do these undergarments cover? Maybe it'll come back up. No, I didn't touch anything. I don't think. Uh, but anyway, so these britches would reach from their waist to their thighs. Uh, and so from the midsection down to the knees would be covered. You know, I think there's been some debate about where does, where does the thigh end, where does the thigh start. Well, all the way down to the knees. Above the knee is the thigh, isn't it? And so britches that would uh, reach from the waist to the thighs would be short, so it would cover all the way down to the knees. And so I, think that's, I think that's really clear. I think we can see that from moving these priests that would be moving around to have themselves covered and be covered properly in every position that they would find themselves in. Uh, now, one more, one more point to make. I'm not sure why the, I'm not sure why that's uh, going on and off on me. But if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 22, I, this isn't going to be the main gist of what we want to talk about uh, tonight at all. But uh, I wanted to mention Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5. Uh, all right, there we go. Uh, because here the, the Bible says a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. We're talking about modest clothing. This isn't the main thrust of what we're talking about, but you know, in today, the modern world that we live in, there's people that, that are called cross-dressers. There's, there's men who want to dress like women and women that want to dress like men. When we're talking about modestly clothing ourselves, God's perspective has always been He created man and He created woman, and they're different, and that's okay. That's the way that He made it. God wants a man to look and act like a man, and He wants a woman to look and act like a woman. And so when we're talking about modestly dressing, there's differences between men and women, and I think that's a point probably worthy of making as well. Now, our first point was just to lay some foundation about what we're we're talking about. Just what God thinks is nakedness, how we should be ashamed of nakedness, and how we should adequately cover nakedness. But going further, I think there's some further instruction given to us about modest apparel. Uh, and we want to look to the New Testament for uh, a passage that was read for us, that Ricky read for us. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. So Paul wrote this book. Paul wrote it to Timothy. Timothy was a, a young man who was uh, preaching. And so Paul wrote to him. Uh, now, I want to say that when Paul wrote to Timothy, he was talking about women's clothing here. Uh, this, was, this was directed to women. But I want to say that men, you know, are not off the hook uh, because the principle applies to both of us. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning verse 9, it says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So there's there's really three different words here that we want to talk about in these uh, couple of verses. Obviously, the title for our lesson came from uh, these couple of words, modest apparel. Uh, modest apparel is what Paul told Timothy that women ought to endure, adorn themselves in. Modest apparel uh, would mean... The well-ordering of your inner life that expresses itself outwardly. To be modest would have well-ordered life inwardly 
And then the apparel that you would wear would express that well-ordered life outwardly. In other words, your character will be expressed in how you dress. And so this describes someone whose clothing shows discipline. When you observe this person's clothing, you observe someone who is self-controlled and moral. And so let me just ask you a question. Uh, Would modest apparel, would that describe someone who exposes the majority of their body? No, it couldn't. Would this describe uh, a person who uh, would wear about as much as a modern-day bathing suit? No, that wouldn't be modest apparel. That wouldn't be a person that we would look at and say they're self-controlled, they're moral, uh, their clothing says that they're disciplined. It wouldn't. Could this describe extremely tight-fitting clothes that leave nothing up to the imagination? We'd say, no, we we wouldn't call that modest apparel. So that's the first word. Uh, let's talk about the next one here, shamefacedness. Uh, you can kind of see in, in that word, uh, shame. Uh, so shamefacedness, the New King James Version says propriety. Uh, so this means dressing with a sense of shame. That sort of makes sense to us, right? So unlike the people of Jeremiah's day, remember, that couldn't blush, Paul told Timothy that women ought to dress themselves in ways that show their sense of shame. Uh, our clothes say something about us. And that's so important. Uh, in, in, in my job, my secular job, I get the opportunity to interview people sometimes. When people come in for interviews, uh, a lot of times they'll dress very professionally. To me, that says, this person's taking this serious. I mean, they've dressed really nice because they want to impress me and whoever else is going to be doing the interview with me to show that they want this job, they're taking it seriously. Our, our clothes say something about us. If a person goes in for an interview and they're just sloppy, they look like they they didn't even look in the mirror when they left the house, you think, they don't even care about this job. They're not even taking this seriously at all. They think our company's a joke or, or whatever. Uh, our clothes say something about us. Uh, we want to look the part. When you go to a wedding, what do you do? Well, you, you dress up. It's an important occasion and you want to look nice to... Uh, show how you understand the seriousness of that occasion. Our clothes says something about us. And so Paul told Timothy that we ought to dress with a sense of shame. Uh, we ought to be well put together. In Proverbs 7 and verse 10, we'll come back to 1 Timothy 2. In Proverbs 7 and verse 10, it says, Behold, a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. Our clothes say something about us, and that's what the proverb writer is talking about here. Uh, because... Uh, A harlot dresses in such a way that entices or produces lustful thoughts. And so when he says dress like a harlot, you know what that means. It's a person dressed in such a way that shows what their profession is. Have any of you ever heard of Mary Quaint? You may not have heard of her. Mary Quaint was a London fashion designer and she was credited with inventing the miniskirt. I want to read a quote to you from her. She said, miniskirts are symbolic of those girls who want to seduce a man. She knew when she was making that article of clothing what the purpose was. The purpose was to attract attention from the opposite sex, and and it was to be a sexually attractive dress. Uh, And that that was the purpose of it. There's really no hiding that fact. Our clothing says something about us. Uh, People in the world know what clothing can do. That's why they dress up when they go for an interview. Uh, We as Christians need to be aware of that as well and dress in such a way that it shows our good character. Uh, men and women of God ought not to dress in ways that cause lewd thoughts in others. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Uh, so this word shamefacedness is what we were just talking about. Dress with a sense of shame. That, uh, that ought to be shown when we uh, clothe ourselves. So we talked about modest apparel, shamefacedness. This last word is sobriety. 
want to talk about sobriety just for a minute. Now, if we were talking about drinking alcohol and somebody said, I'm sober, we'd understand that they meant, well, I've got, I'm free from intoxicants. There's, there's nothing at all clouding my judgment. Uh, I am totally sober. Here, sobriety means just having sound judgment. You know, having sound judgment. So when you dress, have sound judgment. Sometimes I think that there's people that don't give a thought to what they're going to wear. Uh, you know, you see a person and you think, there is no way they could have looked in the mirror when they left the house thinking that that was okay. You know, but that's a, somebody not thinking soberly, not having sound judgment about what they put on. Uh, that's what a Christian ought to do. We ought to think soberly about how we dress. Do you think about what you're going to leave before you, what you're going to wear before you leave the house? Uh, I've got a list of questions here. I didn't come up with these questions, but I think they're really good. Uh, questions to consider before you leave the house about your clothing. Is it too tight? Is it too short? Is it too thin? Is it too low cut? Does it cover me when I sit down, not just while I'm standing? I think those are all fair questions to ask. If we ask ourselves those questions and we say, no, I, don't, I don't think this meets the mark, then we shouldn't wear that thing. Actually, we should get rid of it. Uh, because a person that's a Christian ought to have good sound judgment about how they dress, dress uh, with a sense of sobriety. A person, again, thinking soberly about how they dress would ask themselves those questions, think about what they're wearing before they leave the house. And notice, uh, does our clothing profess godliness? That's what Paul was telling Timothy. Uh, becometh women professing, becometh women professing godliness. That's what our clothing is supposed to do. So, does your clothing profess godliness, or does it profess something else? Does our clothing get off, give off the wrong message? Uh, what does your clothing say about you? And really, that's something that we all need to ask ourselves. In Wednesday night class, we've been studying the works of the flesh. Uh, and those are found in Galatians 5, beginning of verse 19. Uh, and, and I thought some of those things pertain to what we're talking about right now. Paul said, The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to focus on this word a little bit, lasciviousness. Uh, lasciviousness is anything that could produce lewd thoughts. Some versions actually uh, translate that lewdness. And so a lot of things could fall under lasciviousness. It could be the way I talk. It could be the way I act or move my body. It could be the way I dress. It could produce uh, lasciviousness. And so if I'm dressing in such a way that produces lewd thoughts in others, Paul says the people that do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, and so that's serious business. As we're talking about those works of the flesh, you know, th- these, these are all things that we're kind of, you know, you're just not eager and excited to talk about. But what Paul says is if you're doing these things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So we need to talk about them and we need to make sure we're not practicing them. Uh, it, it's that serious. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 27, Jesus said uh, here, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks on a woman, looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus said, just uh, uh, just like uh, as bad as the act of committing adultery, if you are looking upon a person to lust after them, uh, committing adultery in the mind is just as bad as, as committing the act. So I think this is more of a challenge for men. So men, we've got to avoid doing that. Uh, direct your mind and focus elsewhere. And that probably gets harder and harder in today's world as people are wearing less and less clothing. 
But we're not going to be excused. You know, that's not going to be an excuse. Well, they didn't have on any clothes. I couldn't help but look at them and, and think bad thoughts. Uh, Jesus said that if you do that, if you whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that's not going to be a, a good result for any person that does that. And so we've got to take responsibility. I think that I think that's a big key. The conclusion that I draw is that if a member of the opposite sex lusts after you, they have a problem. But if your clothing causes them to lust after you, then you also have a problem. Uh, and I think that's a point that, that must be made. In Matthew 18, beginning of verse 6, Jesus said, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Jesus said you'd be better off to have a millstone hung around your neck and cast out into the sea than to cause someone, somebody else to stumble. Uh, and so if someone were to lust after me, that's on them. Uh, they can't be doing that. But if I'm dressing in such a way that causes them to lust after me, then that's on me. And, and I think that's exactly what Jesus says here. I wanted to bring that up because I think some have raised an objection saying, uh, you know, I could be covered, a person could be covered from head to toe. There could be no skin showing at all, and somebody could still lust after them. And we would say they could. That's right, they could. And if that's the case, if you're dressed modestly and a person lusts after you, then that's the other person's problem. They have sinned. But the point that we're trying to make is if we're causing a person to stumble, then that's my problem. And we can't excuse ourselves saying that's somebody else's issue, not mine. Jesus would disagree with that. In Romans 13, beginning at verse 13, uh, Paul said, Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So get what Paul is saying. I mean, this this could pertain to many facets of life. Uh, so drunkenness. If the issue is drinking alcohol and I'm trying to repent and do better, then I may have to take the long way home to avoid going by a bar on the way home because maybe that would be a temptation. Maybe I'd pull over in there and I'd stop if, if I go the short way home past that place. So maybe I don't make provision for the flesh. I take the long way home to avoid falling into that sin. But he says the same thing here about lewdness and lust. Uh, if I'm tempted to look at something inappropriate, then that may mean I need to do whatever it takes to not do that. Uh, you know, whether that's get rid of a device or whether that's just find something else to do with my time. Paul said, don't make provision for the flesh. I think we're too quick to make provision for the flesh and, and we fall into those kind of things. And so that's tough, but that's what we've got to do. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Don't allow yourself to get in that situation. And so when it comes to clothing, don't dress in such a way to attract the wrong kind of character. If I don't plan on doing something wrong, and we shouldn't put ourselves out there advertising like we're selling something if we're not selling it. Uh, and I think that's what Paul is talking about there. And so that's some further instruction about modest apparel. So there's basic principles, further instruction. And real quick, uh, I think that we've got a problem. And, and I say that to mean I think we've got a problem on our hands. It's not a new problem, but it's a disturbing problem. There's reports about uh, churches, even in Middle Tennessee, that are no longer even teaching about modest dress. Uh, there are men that are declining to serve in public worship because they can't help but see nakedness if they do that. And I know people personally who hesitate to serve the Lord's Supper because they might catch an eyeful whenever they are passing the emblems. And that ought not to be so, especially in the Lord's church. Uh, I read a, 
uh, or heard a lesson, a preacher was talking about modest apparel. And, and he said that he had went to a gospel meeting and he saw a girl wearing what he described as the shortest skirt he had ever seen. And he assumed it must be a visitor who wasn't a Christian. He later found out that this girl was an elder's daughter from that congregation. And to add insult to injury, that elder was also serving as the preacher in that congregation. And so modest dress isn't being talked about in churches evidently like it should be. We need to keep practicing it ourselves and then teaching our kids as well. Uh, because we've already, we've already pointed out the basic principles is nakedness is a shameful thing. And there's further instructions given. We don't want to be attracting uh, characters and we don't want to be selling ourselves uh, if we're showing off our bodies. And so we've got a problem on our hands, a big problem. Uh, some people, I think, believe that it's harmless to act like the world, walk like the world, talk like the world, or even dress like the world, but God calls us to be different. Uh, and so that's what we have to do. Uh, and so as we're trying to address this problem, I think this passage helps us. It, it doesn't specifically talk about how we dress. But Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Paul says our bodies should be a living sacrifice. Uh, someone says, well, this is how the world does it. Well, we need our minds to be transformed. We need our minds to be renewed uh, so that we conduct ourselves the way that is acceptable uh, and according to the will of God. That's what Paul is saying there. The world follows the latest fads and styles, but uh, the Christian needs to follow God's pattern. In 1 John uh, chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, John said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world's passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The lust that the world contains is passing away. And so if we're wrapped up in the things that the world has to offer, uh, we need to realize it's all temporary, it's all going away. The things that God has to offer is eternal, and the person that does the will of God is going to abide forever. Some of the things he talked about up here is the lust of the flesh. Of course, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Those are the, the three ways that uh, we can be tempted. But all those things are passing away. That's what's so key. Realize that. Those things are passing away. Don't let yourself get caught up in something that is not going to last forever. And it's, it's sinful. Realize that doing the will of God, you're going to abide forever. In James chapter 4, verse 4, uh, we talked about this verse, I believe this past Wednesday night as well. Uh, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I think Monty taught us about that enmity and enemy. Uh, now this verse uh, should answer the objection. Everybody else is doing it. So why wouldn't it be okay for me? Uh, maybe somebody says, I don't want to stand out and be too different. I don't want my kids to look weird for not dressing like everybody else. Well, James said that being friends with the world is to be an enemy of God. So if you want to do just what everybody else is doing and make yourself a friend of the world, well, just know that you're making yourself an enemy of God. If you're a friend of worldly things, you've set yourselves at odds against God. And I know that nobody here would want to do that. We don't want to be an enemy of God. All right, as we, as we close, I want to offer just a few excuses uh, that are, or objections that are sometimes offered 
when we talk about modest dress. The first objection is, it's cooler in the summertime if I wear less clothing. I don't know that that's exactly how a person would say it, but that's the gist of it, right? It's cooler if I wear less clothing, I can get more airflow. It's getting hot out here. Uh, and so that should be a good excuse for me to wear skimpy clothing because I can get more airflow with less clothing on. That's the gist of the argument. So uh, I guess the question we could ask is, are you willing to throw away God's standard of decency to be a little bit cooler? Uh, do men and women cease to lust maybe because the weather's warmer? You know, it's, after it gets past 90 degrees, people don't lust. Ever. No, obviously that's not the case. Would it be all right to set aside God's standard for comfort? No, we'd have to say no, that, so that doesn't work. What about another objection? It's the style now. Uh, you know, our fashion has changed over the years, and so the style now is to wear less clothing. And so I'm just, I'm just wearing the style that's available out there. Well, uh, God's Word doesn't bow, bow down to the styles of men. God doesn't care about what they're doing in Hollywood. He doesn't care about the latest and greatest fashion. God isn't subject to any of their styles that they can come up with. Styles may change. And they have. We can even see that over, you know, over our lifetime. Styles come in and come out. They change. But God's will never changes. And so that, that doesn't get the job done either. Uh, what about this one? I'm on vacation. So typically I dress well, but I'm on vacation and I'm at the beach. Or maybe I'm fishing or maybe I'm riding around on a boat or whatever it may be. Well, we'd have to say, well, you can take a vacation from your job. Uh, you can take a vacation from your hometown, but you can't take a vacation from doing the will of God. I mean, not if you want to be a faithful Christian. There's no vacation from that. You can't say, I'm on vacation this week, so this week anything goes. That doesn't work. And and nobody here, I don't think, is opposed to swimming or opposed to fishing or going, you know, doing anything like that. But that doesn't excuse us from dressing properly. We need to remain modest while we're doing those things. That doesn't work. Maybe this objection. Maybe somebody says, nobody would lust after me. I mean, have you seen me? Nobody would lust after me. I'm not that attractive and there's no way. So I can get away with wearing less clothing because nobody out there is going to find me attractive. Well, uh, I guess we just say everyone is attractive to somebody. And uh, there is somebody that could and would lust after you. And so don't be so foolish to make that excuse. We can't read another person's thoughts and minds. Uh, but really, we need to just stop making excuses and just do what God said. We just need to dress properly. That's that's just a poor excuse. So that, that one doesn't work either. Uh, and what about this last one? The activity I'm engaging in demands I wear less clothing. Really, I think this probably this probably comes up with, with sports things a lot. Uh, and listen, I, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody here that's a bigger sports fan than I am. I love sports, all kinds of sports. I like watching sports. I've always loved playing sports. Uh, and so you'd have a hard time, like I said, finding somebody that likes sports more than I do. But if you think about it, if I have to wear inadequate clothing to perform a sport, then maybe I ought to find another sport to play. Uh, We'd be better off not ever playing sports and make it to heaven than to sacrifice morals and be able to play a sport and be lost. You know, really, at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. Now, I understand that there's probably more objections that have been offered. I also think that the fashion trends of the day have made it easier for men to find modest clothing than, than women. Women have a more difficult time finding clothes that are modest. I've watched Kristen trying to find dresses that that don't have a slit all the way up to here or don't be low cut. I, I understand all that and, and I get it. And I know that I know that a lot of a lot of the women say, Hey, I found a dress here, you should go check there. It's it's gonna be more difficult uh, sometimes. 
But God's put principles in place that we need to follow. And just because it may be more difficult to find clothes that are proper or whatever the case may be, we may stand out and look a little weird. Why don't we just do that? Why don't we just quit making excuses and just do that? God's put principles in place and we just need to follow them. All right, so I think we said a whole lot, but there's three three points there. We've got basic principles. There's further instructions given in the New Testament. And I think we've got a problem mainly because it's just not being talked about and not being addressed. All right, it's getting warmer out there. People are wearing less and less clothing. Let's make sure if we're Christians that we're clothing ourselves properly, that we're covering up our nakedness, uh, and that we're doing that being pleasing to God. I appreciate your attention tonight to the things we had to say. Uh, we haven't talked about what you need to do uh, to become a Christian, uh, but we don't want to end without making that opportunity available. I think we're going to be singing the song, There's Power in the Blood, and that's so true. You know, Jesus came and died, and He shed His blood so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Maybe you're here tonight, you've never obeyed the gospel. There's power in the blood. It can wash your sins away. Maybe you have become a Christian and you've fallen away. Maybe maybe it's on a topic like this, uh, and you, you realize you need to make that right. Well, there's power in the blood. You can have your sins washed and, and cleansed tonight. You can be back in a good standing with God. If you have a need, come forward while we stand and while we sing this invitation song.